Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. I hope that this morning finds you well. It's definitely a chilly morning, but I think it's going to be a beautiful one. Or as I'm, I'm learning to be a Colorado, and it's called right a bluebird. Is it going to be a bluebird sky today? Possibly, possibly. So, well, turn with me if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do. Turn with me the Book of Ephesians, chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses seven through thirteen this morning. Ephesians chapter three. Verses 7 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one on the chair back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home. It's a gift from us to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the mystery, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God (coughs) The manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of your word. Father, today we stand united as your church, proclaiming that your word is without error, that it is uh, penned by the prophets and the apostles, Lord, through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, it is in the way, as Jesus said in John chapter 17, uh, the way in which we are sanctified. Because your word is truth. And so because of that, Lord, um, we land on it today. Lord, we need your truth today to um, correct us. We need your truth today to convict us. We need your truth today to drive us to repentance. We need your truth today, Lord, to set us free from the bondage that the world um, pretends to be truth. So, Father, I ask today that you would renew our minds through the work of your spirit and that we would walk in the freedom that is only found in Christ Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. <coughs> so we've, um, we've come a long way thus far in the book of Ephesians. We have gone through the first two chapters of the text. We have talked a lot about doctrinal instruction. We've talked on topics that are that are uncomfortable. The Apostle Paul lays in chapter one on divine election, uh, justification by grace alone and faith alone, (coughs) the Spirit's work. And then the reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles. 
as well as the apostles' prayer that we might understand the divine revelation. Or as he said in, in chapter 1, that we might walk in the understanding of our inheritance. As the Apostle Paul has done previously, though, the Apostle pauses briefly at the beginning of this prayer to speak of the ministerial role in proclaiming the mystery of Christ as we looked at last week in verses 1 through 6. Paul continues this interlude in today's passage explaining that he was made a minister of the gospel of God which unites all believers under the lordship of Jesus, no matter their background. And that is the mystery that is revealed. That is the gospel. Paul recognizes that he is a servant, and even in his servitude is a gift from God. Like in his suffering, he says, I am a prisoner, in verse 1, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. We talked about that last week. He doesn't say that he's a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of Nero. He says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Because all things work for the good. And we cannot lose sight of that. We cannot lose sight of, of what Paul's proclamation is. He understands that only through God is he given the work that he has today, and only through the sovereignty of God is he set chained to a Roman guard. The source of Paul's ministry was not his own power, and this is something that we must claim and walk in every single day, but it's a gift of God's grace. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. This phrase, this phrase alludes back to verse 2. Therefore, it creates a bracketing or a defining of the context of this letter, right? So we look at verses 1 through 6, and all of these things that he's proclaiming, that, that he's a prisoner, that he's that he's been given this stewardship of God's grace to make known the mystery, which is the gospel taken to the Gentiles. And he, he, he builds this case, but verse 7 then gives us the equation, right? I told you before, I'm, I'm a very linear math thinker, and so he builds this case, and then he gives the equal sign for all of it. The equal sign for all that Paul proclaims in verses 1 through 6 is one thing, the gift of of God's grace. <clears throat> Biblical scholars call this liter literary device, it's a Latin term called inclusio. So this word inclusio, as it includes everything mentioned under the, the sphere of the repeated concept, right? So he gives us the context of this entire thought that he's having here in verse 7. So everything that we taught on last week about being stewards of the great, being stewards of the mystery, right? That making the proclamation to the Gentiles, right? He says that that's all summed up in verse seven as a gift of God's grace, and we can't miss this because I think that we easily can. 
This points back to the idea of the divine providence of God. We talked about that last week, right? Nothing happens outside of his control. Nothing, including the appointment of Paul as a minister to the Gentiles. But understanding that this only takes place in one way. It only takes place in one sphere, right? And that's that it bracketed inclusio, right? This only takes place. All these things that Paul has accomplished, all the things that he has suffered, only take place under the sphere of God's grace. <coughs> Essentially, the apostle is telling us here that his insight into this mystery of Christ, his call to be a minister of the gospel, his specific work among the Gentiles, and everything else associated with the Christian life is rooted in one thing, the grace of God. I often wonder why I or maybe I can say we, don't give every moment back to the Lord as simple praise of his grace. Why do I, why do we walk through our days assuming they lack significance? Church, it's important that you understand. It's important that you hear me say this today. None of your days are insignificant. None of them. They are all significant because of the grace of God. None of our moments are without God's grace. Our inclusio, as I said there, our sphere of being is simply put, the grace of God. I plead with you this morning to put that on display in your mind. Like, what does that look like in your day when you walk out of here today, when you, when you face the giant that your Monday morning is? What does it look like for you to put that mindset on and walk in the grace of God? Does it change anything about your day? Without the divine grace of our, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's saying he would be nothing. And he would have no place at the table in the kingdom of heaven. It is in his grace that we walk and in his grace that we breathe. And this is the divine providence of our Father. If only we could embrace this and truly walk in it. This emphasis on the primacy and the centrality of, of God's divine grace saturates Paul's writings. But it doesn't just saturate Paul's writings, it saturates the entire Bible. That we serve a God who from the beginning of time, when he spoke all things into creation, from the moment that of the sin of Adam, God displayed mercy and grace. And as we talked about, the essential definition of apostasy, right, was to forget what God has done. And Paul, once again, is reminding us to remember, 
Remember what God has done. Remember your first love. Remember that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but he has made you alive. You were dead. You are now alive. Remember, church. Why do we forget? Why do we forget? The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by the, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though I, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 7 today reveals to us the gift of God's grace. And it was given to Paul by the working of the Lord's power. Nothing less than the Creator's supernatural strength could overpower Paul's fierce, hard-hearted opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's essential when we understand the context of Paul's life and the pleas that he has and the passions that he has to remembering where he came from. So if you're really quick in your Bible, jump back to Acts chapter 9. Let's read a few verses in Acts chapter 9. Because I think it's really important that we, we think about who the author of this letter was. We're only going to read the first 16 verses of Acts chapter 9. I encourage you this week to read the, entire, read the entire chapter. It goes so much more in depth into it. But if you look at Acts chapter 9, starting verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, women or, men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him to the, by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drink, drank. Verse 10. And there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judah look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Verse 15, and don't miss this. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, and his transformation into Paul the Apostle, we see perhaps the clearest demonstration of irresistible grace in the Scriptures. The truth is, is that God will pursue His people no matter how long and how hard they try to withstand His call. Only through His omnipotence work, also through His grace. His grace is irresistible, church. This gives us ample reason to praise Him. For our Lord's grace has, has likewise turned us from our own rebellious ways to follow Him. God's effectual, irresistible grace always has its purpose in the conversion of those in which He pursues. Do you remember when he pursued you? Do you remember when he gave you the gift of faith to believe? I'll never forget it. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, not just from a spiritual level, but from a physical level. I was a drug addict. I had been up for weeks. I'd been, at that point, I had been up for almost two weeks on methamphetamines. I was, a, I was an alcoholic. And I took myself to the end of myself. But God, being rich in mercy, pulled me out of the swamp, right? He pulled me up. He stood me on solid ground. And He took away all those temptations. He set me free. And the moment that He gave me the, the faith to believe, there was no other pursuit in my life. None. No other pursuit. From that moment forward, I began to preach the gospel. And I will do it until y'all bury me on a hill somewhere in Grand County. I will proclaim his name until I have no more breath. Because that's how powerful his grace is. It must be the full pursuit of our life because of his everlasting love. For Paul, this calling... This salvation, it was to be an apostle. It was to be a minister of the gospel, to take it to the Gentiles. And for the majority of us in here today, it was through the ministry of the gospel in the apostle Paul's life that took the ministry to us sitting here today. The truth in which Paul proclaimed through the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the foreknowledge of God was to include me and you into this beautiful love story, right? For you today, do you know that He has also equipped you for the work of the gospel? Through His grace... 
But what I plead with you on a weekly basis is what's preventing you from walking in it? Like what's truly preventing you? What's holding you back from walking in this grace, this gift of God? The gift of God's grace, as he says in verse 7. Let's keep going. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Verse 10. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Man, verse 10 is a tough one. Paul begins with a few words that encapsulate the wonder he felt regarding his conversion. Though I am the very least of all the saints, right? When you read Paul's epistles, we get this impression that he never ceased to be amazed that God chose both to save him and to make him the chief herald of the gospel message. For he refers to his unworthiness in many, many places in the scriptures. Remember in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I think I could argue with Paul there as far as being a sinner. From our perspective, we can easily see why he never lost his amazement at God's gift of grace. After all, he did not only he he was not only not open to the gospel prior to his conversion, he was hostile to the gospel. In fact, many theologians write that like the greatest harm that the gospel message has ever had was Saul of Tarsus. That there was very few men that have lived hostile to the gospel that could do so much damage to it in its early stages. Because Paul, was, Paul grew up in the Hebrew culture. He came from the lineage. He knew the, he knew the law. And he continued to push back and fight back at it. So before he knew Christ, the damage that he could do with his knowledge and his lineage was damaging to the gospel message. But God, being rich in mercy, set him free from the hostility because Paul was dead in his trespasses. He was made alive in Christ. And Christ told him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Our frequent failure to be amazed at the Lord's graciousness to us may originate in the fact, as I've talked about this forgetting what God has done, is that we were not outwardly opposed to the gospel before we heard the call of Jesus. So what happens a lot in our Western culture is that for a lot of you, which praise be to God that you have, you've grown up in a household 
of Christianity. And praise be to God for that, for your faithful parents who have poured and surrounded your heart with the kindling of truth, right? That's our calling as a parent, right? And we know that only God can set it on fire. And so for some of you, though, like when you were converted and you grew up in that home, like it was a beautiful conversion. And like you don't really remember the day in which you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But that does not make your salvation less miraculous. That doesn't make your salvation less of a miracle. Whether you were a drug addict or whether you were seven sitting on your bedside and your dad led you to the Lord, praise be to God for both. Praise be to God for both. Let us never forget that we too were once God-haters that our Father's decision to save us is no less gracious than his choice to save Paul. All are miraculous. All are in his divine grace. Divine grace was given to Paul to save him and to commission him for service, as we see there in verse 8. And though we may not have as prominent a role in church history as the Apostle Paul we are nonetheless commissioned for a specific service in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Look at me with your face. Like, if, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a follower of him, you have been set apart and you have been commissioned for the work of the kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Because many times I think we're like, well, Chris will do it. The pastor will do it, right? The elders will do it. My dad will do it. What about you, that, what about you teenagers sitting here? Like every day you go to a school or you surround yourself with people that perhaps do not know of this beauty, right? Did you know that you've been equipped that you have been commissioned, you have been set apart to proclaim this message? But many times we just sink back into the culture and hope to be unnoticed. But you have been, you have been created for something more. Why would you be unnoticed when you're created for something more? When you're set apart, when you are alive in Christ... <clears throat> one way we discern this call is through reading Paul's letters and the rest of Scripture. As the Bible contains the unsearchable riches of Christ revealed in our edification, these riches in which he proclaims the plan and the benefits of our salvation, these are the riches. They're inaccessible and they're unfathomable by our human mind apart from the Holy Spirit's role and the revelation. This is why the Word of God is so crucial for your life, so that you may spend your days meditating and searching these truths. Jerome, one of the great uh, biblical scholars of the early church, wrote this. Those things which by, by nature were unsearchable to humanity are the ones that have been made known by God's revelation through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and through the word of the scriptures. 
if Paul had anything in his character that distinguished him, it was a genuine humility, wasn't it? He was aware of his dependence on the grace of God. But the fact that he was less than the least does not counsel out the significance of his message. And his message was this, verse 8. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to what? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. That was Paul's message. To be a minister in any capacity in the kingdom of God is to carry a treasure, right? Like if you know this Jesus I proclaim today, you carry with you a treasure. You carry with you a hope in which dead men do not have. None of us are qualified to this task in terms of our own righteousness and worth, our own purity, our own integrity don't get it, doesn't get us there. Because this message that we preach is beyond the estimation of any of our earthly works. It's only made possible through the work of Christ crucified, that you have been born again in him. Paul emphasizes that he was called to bring the light for everyone, what is the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. His calling was to illuminate it, the beauty, the holiness, the redemption, the work of the cross. This was the purpose of Paul's life. Like from the moment that he met Christ on that road to Damascus, this was every ounce of his waking being, right? Every breath that he took was about proclaiming the goodness of Christ, planting churches, investing in people. During our men's and women's Bible study right now, we just started the book of Colossians. And one of the things that's profound about the book of Colossians is the great love in which Paul has for the church at Colossae, which he's never met. His investment in Epaphras is, is the link that he has to that church. And he pleads over them. He loves them greatly. Like the prayer in chapter 1 is beautiful. But he's never met them, right? It's because Paul was radically changed by the power of the gospel. And his entire life pointed to that message. His entire life pointed to the holiness of God, the redemption of God, the work on the cross. It was the sole purpose of Paul's living and breathing. But this purpose of Paul is not unlike your purpose because of the gift of the church. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Paul is saying that this mystery is revealed to the apostles. And remember we talked about last week, the apostles and prophets provide the direct revelation through the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying that this mystery is revealed to the apostles to be expressed and taught to men. 
But what's profound about this text that I know all of us want to spend a lot of time on, but I don't have a good enough understanding to teach on it, is that even the angels and the demons did not understand this mystery. But it was made known to his church. Think about that. Even the angels and demons did not know the secret counsel of God on this mystery. So to be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Who is that? That's the angels. It is the task of the church to make God's plan of salvation plain to the whole cosmos. Even to heavenly beings. It is the task of the church. It is our calling. It is the reason that we live and we breathe. This truth today is one of the reasons I choose. I believe through the wisdom of the Spirit for us to study this text. This is one of the reasons as I prayed for you, as you're calling to be your pastor, that this was the text in which we would walk through. Because I believe where God has planted this little bitty, white, beautiful building here in Grand County, He has done so in His providence. But He has not done so just so we can weekly check a box that we attended church, right? He has not done so so that we can weekly say, yeah, I go to so-and-so church. No, He has done so so that we might embrace the calling to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God, not only to everybody in our sphere, but also to the heavenly beings. That is the purpose of the church. It's not just a a placeholder on your calendar, church. It's so much more. It's so much more. And I know some of you have been hurt by men in the church. I know you've had situations. There's all these things that come up in your life that can make you avoid the assembly of the saints. But the assembly of the saints is the expression of Christ and His church. The assembly of the saints is how the world will be consummated. It's the way the world will be redeemed. It's through the church. No other plan. There is no other plan but the church. Do you know that? Like there's no other plan. God's kingdom is coming and it comes through the work of the church. Inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit, we walk through this. And so when we gather here today, we gather in holiness. When you choose to come here on a Sunday morning, you're making a decision of life. It's not just something you do. It's something that you are. And I so wish that we could embrace this. Our American culture has destroyed what the idea and the name of the church is. It is so much more powerful. It was was before the foundation of the world. This was the plan. This was not plan B. This was plan A. Is that God would send His Son... And he would, find, he would provide a way of redemption. And in his redemption, in his, in his coming, in his resurrection, he would leave us with his body. And his body is the church. We're not just an activity on your calendar. 
that you can easily dismiss. The church is not just a social opportunity. The church is more than a place to come and sing songs of your childhood, hear Bible stories. No, the church is life because it's Christ. It is found in our identity. We are the body of Christ. And as Ephesians 1, remember 21 and 22 says, and it fills all in all. So our, our responsibility as the church is to make his name known to every ounce of the cosmos. Not just the earth, every ounce of the cosmos. And he says it here, right? To the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Way bigger than we can imagine, right? It blows my mind to think about that, right? The church is the avenue in which God puts on display his glory for all of creation to witness. And what's beautiful about it is that you are a part of it. Not only that much more, it's the church is the avenue in which he puts on display for the angels in heavenly places. Think of the depth and the breadth of that idea. In heavenly places. I don't even understand it fully, right? But that's the purpose of the church. <coughs> the significance of our work in the church is more than, than just today. It's eternal work. I wonder of your faithfulness to it. And I say that, I say that not to cut. I say that in like truth. Because I believe that we continue to draw away from the biblical true identity of the church. And I'm asking you today to lock arms together and let's draw near to, back to it. Let the church, let the body of Christ be the central purpose because through it is, the, is why we were created, was to know him and to make him known. You only accomplish that through the church. She is the church. She is the body of Christ the central plan to restore all things, to consummate all things through you in your days today and in the quiet of your life on a random Wednesday morning in your decisions to join or not join a specific Bible study or sleep in on a Sunday. Every moment of your days is the work of the church. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Let's keep going. Let's finish the text here. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I love this ending. Paul is comforting the church at Ephesus and telling them not to be concerned about him. He may be in prison. He may go through all kinds of afflictions and tribulations and all kinds of pain. But he thinks of it as a benefit. A benefit. Think about that. <coughs> Why a benefit? 
Look at back at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on your behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for what? For you. For you. The stewardship of God's grace was given to me for you. He has been given a ministry to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Paul is saying that it is not just his own task to make this known, but the task of the whole church. The whole church is entrusted with the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole body of Christ is given the mission of revealing to the world the mystery hidden for the ages. For you, understanding this truth should bring you to perhaps a state of repentance, but ending with a step of praise. It is also something that we must be intentional with. We must be intentional in our walk, and that our walk is not of ourselves, right? But it's also for our brothers and sisters. When we check out, like when you're having a bad day or maybe you've had a bad week and you just check out and you're like, I'm just going to go numb. I'm going to flip through social media for an entire day and waste an entire day. Or, or what, do, what do the young people say? We're going to Netflix and, and just binge watch. And like you check out and you've missed an entire day, right? You've missed an entire day of your life just checking out. How many of you are guilty of that? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. Your, your kids are in here. I will. Like we just check out as if like this day is insignificant and it's not a day that the Lord has made and we just check out from it. When you do so, the whole body suffers. As I've shared with you, and I'll use it over and over again, when I stand here with you and I hear you singing at the top of your voice to the Lord in song, you minister to me. But many of you are so like self-aware of like, maybe it's like you're like me, you have no musical talent, and you're afraid if you sing to the top of your lungs, someone will hear you. But you're missing the point. Like the point of the church, the point of the gospel is not just about us, it's about you. And my ministry is not about me, it's about you. Paul's bondage was not about him being bond, it was about them. There's so much more to this. When you don't pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, when you don't sing out loud in worship, when you, don't, when you take for granted the significance of sharing the gospel, we're all impacted because this is one body. But when you lean in, when you do make that call to that person that you've been avoiding, when you do attend, when you do go the extra mile, it reflects on the beauty of the gospel. In the way that you live, the gospel is proclaimed because your priorities are put on display and your priorities equate to Jesus and his church. But it's not for you, it's for others. This is God's purpose. This is his central plan. This is his eternal plan. 
we talk a lot about the will of God. We talked about it a lot in our Colossians study with the men on Sunday morning. I think that became the whole topic of our sermon was the will of God for our lives. And we've all wrestled with that, right? We had long conversations about it on Friday. And as we discussed earlier, there's two types of will discussed in the scriptures, right? There is the moral will. That is the will of God. That is, it's the will of God that you follow his commands, right? But there's also the decreed will of God. The decreed will of God is the will that decree from God in regards to his will that will come to pass with or without your obedience, right? Like God has willed things, he has decreed things that will come to pass with or without you, right? The church is the decreed will of God. The redeeming work of the church is the decreed will of God. The redemption of all things, the restoration of all things, restoring all the things that were, that were cursed in sin is the work of the church, is the work of Jesus Christ, his body, the church. It is decreed. It is God's purpose. And it stands from all eternity but the bad thing is, is that it will come to pass with or without you. Did you know that? Like the gospel will not stop. You can't, you can't stomp it out. It will come to pass. The word of God will stand forever and it will, it will come to pass with or without you. But God loves you so much. He wants you to be a part of this story. He doesn't want you to sit on the sidelines any longer. Stop sitting on the sidelines watching other people Accomplish the work of the Lord. Step into the game. Step into the field. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? God desires that you walk in His will, but He will accomplish it without you. In the covenant of redemption made by the Father and the Son, the plan was for God's elect through salvation, to accomplish the consummation of all things in Christ. Throughout history, there has not been, nor could there be, a shadow or turning or an alternative plan. No matter how slight, this was the original plan for the church to put on display the wisdom of the Father. Church, this call is for us today. This church, this call for us today is to fight the fight of faith. As I shared with you a few weeks ago in my weekly encouragement, one of the joys that I have in officiating funerals is twofold. Some of the most tragic days, some of the most dark days are when I've had people in my life who have asked me to officiate their funeral when there was no fruit in their life. Those are hopeless days. But I tell you what, the days that come forward where someone asks you to officiate their funeral and their life is overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit, like they have fought the fight of faith, they have finished the race, they have finished well, they have, they've ran the race of faith. It's the most joyous day. Most joyous day. That's the fight, church, you have been called to fight. 
Run the race. Embrace the call of the church. Embrace the call of the gospel and run it with every ounce of your being. Do the work of a minister. Put on display the complete display of Christ. Put on display the gospel. Share your story. Walk in the significance of the call of the church. Press into this. Press into this family, this little bitty church here in Grand County. Press into it so that we may make his name non-ignorable in every relationship. Will you suffer? Will people talk poorly about you? Students, will you be excluded from the popular table? Yes, probably. But that's okay. But it's the sake of Christ. It's for the sake of His church, for the good of others and the glory of the Father. Church, I I beg you today, press on to this. Pray with me.